Good morning. Oh, come on. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here to share with you today and to get into God's Word. My name is Scott Loxley. I am one of the deacons here at First Baptist. I said it last, I said First Baptist. I grew up, well, anyway, 24 church. And uh, glad to be here and share with you uh, today. Uh, I think I was choice number seven or eight because of the camp, and everybody got all worn out. And frankly, I don't think they wanted, needed, or had the energy to be able to preach. So I was asked to uh, to share with you today, and it's a joy for me to do it. I'm I'm very glad to be here. Uh, it's the end. What's today? Today is the 28th of July. It's the getting close to the end of the summer. Anybody got any late vacation plans before school? Got a lot of things going on, so maybe you're going to go on vacation right before. And speaking of school, it starts, what, from what I understand around here, like a week from Wednesday? I mean, you know, so things are kind of winding up. I, uh, last, uh, the last service I said, you know, all kinds of things are getting ready to start. Hunting season begins soon, and Joseph goes, woo, you know. And, and I said, guys, you need to be getting ready. And Wendy Hunter got on me after the service and said, girls too. And I'm like... Okay, guys and gals, you need to be getting ready. Hang your stands, put your cameras out, whatever it is you do. Um, but the biggie is football season, right? So we'll spend just a moment on football season. You ready? Any Auburn fans in here? Any Auburn fans at all? I like that young man. So good. We don't need to spend much time. You know, they're the War Eagle. You know, you get that, right? War Eagle. You know what their mascot is? It's the, they're tigers. I don't know where they got War Eagle, but they're the tigers. They're also the plainsmen. So uh, Auburn's confused. They're one of those Alabama schools. And speaking of the next one, I'm, I'm gonna that that poor young child. He's he'll end up just passing out. Any 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 Bama fans in here? The, did you hear that? Quiet, quietly raise their hands. So, what would the uh, Alabama fans say when for the war cry for the battle cry? Roll Tide. Yeah, that's good. They're the Crimson Tide of Alabama. Uh, they have an elephant running around on the field. I don't get that. I never have. There's no elephants in Alabama that I know of, or no tigers either. And, and I'm going to tell you two, Alabama fans, something that's going to really disappoint you. You may not believe me, but it's just the truth. Uh, there are only two people in history that have ever walked on water, and it was Jesus and the Apostle Peter, not Bear Bryant and little Nicky Saban. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just the truth. But Alabama speaks for itself on the field, so I can't say much more. The next team. A thorn in my side. Not just because, the Commodores, by the way, not, not just because of uh, the embarrassment that my team has had over the last few years, but uh, 
for several years, this has been a thorn in my side. Parent, parents, let me tell you something. <clears throat> there are things in your life that you need to teach your children. One is Jesus. You need to teach them Jesus. And as far as I'm concerned, and I'm serious here, a, the, being a successful parent, the main part of that, the main part of your parenting should be raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, right? And that's true. So if your children come to know Jesus, then you're a success, at least in that part of your life. You have succeeded for eternity. That's an awesome thing. But there are other things that you need to teach your children, and I did my best. Teresa and I did our best to raise our children to be loyal to the university of this great state of Tennessee. We are both alumni, and that's just what we are in my family. Did you know that my daughter has walked, continues to walk into my house wearing that on her clothes? <laughs> and, and she dresses her girls, her two daughters, the same way. There's one waving at me back there, and, and that one told me one time, or either her or Emery told me one time, that orange was the ugliest color in the world. I blame that on one person. Golly gee, did you get that? You got it, Fudge, did you? That's good. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to pick on poor... Uh, I'm not going to do that. So, anyway, their uh, their war cry, their battle cry is what? Vanderbilt fans, yeah. anchored down. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's just brilliant. I thought Vanderbilt was the higher learning, intelligent, smart people, right? So, if I'm a football player and I want to move the ball down the field, don't you think it ought to be anchor up? I, anyway, so enough of them. Now, the next one. You want to sing it for us? <laughs> the university, the great University of Tennessee, our, our I'm an alumni, our uh, mascot, or our, our, we're called the volunteers, our cry, our battle cry is either go big orange or go vols, right? And uh, lately, though, I'm afraid it's been, uh, wait till next year, but <laughs> wait till next year, wait till this year. But uh, anyway, so we're called uh, the volunteers. We have two mascots. One is Smokey, runs around on the field barking. Uh, when I was in school, I was, I'm a veterinarian, so when I was in school, I, got, I came that close to getting bit by the Smokey of that time. He was a mean rascal. Uh, but anyway, uh, we have Smokey, and then we have this guy that runs around in buckskins and carries a long rifle, right? And he is the volunteer. He represents uh, Davy Crockett. And uh, Davy Crockett, if you don't know much about Davy Crockett, at least you know that he's a famous Tennessee uh, figure. Davy Crockett, I didn't, I knew, but I've forgotten probably. Davy Crockett served in the state uh, legislature of Tennessee for a while, and then he went to the United States Congress and served there for a while. 
he was in Congress out the back end, and when he ran for re-election the, 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 the next time, he was, uh, he was defeated. So he went to Texas in 1835, I believe. Yeah, something like that. I wrote it down somewhere. I think it's 1835. He went to Texas to fight, and he ended up in the Alamo, and that's where he lost his life. Well, five years later in 1840, uh, President Polk at the time uh, called up the states. What was happening on the Mexican-American border is that the, uh, the president of Mexico had a huge charge into Texas. They needed reinforcements, so the President Polk asked each state for 2,600 volunteers to go uh, help reinforce the troops uh, at the border. <clears throat> In a week's time, the state of Tennessee produced 30,000 volunteers. So there begins our Tennessee volunteer heritage. Uh, what nailed it down was in 1904, the football team of Tennessee was playing Georgia Tech. Uh, I think they won, I'm not sure, but on the, the next day, the Atlanta Journal wrote and called that football team the Volunteers, and that's where it stuck, and that's where the University of Tennessee got its name. There's your history lesson for today. How's that? You like that? I'm going to bring that back around at the end of the, end of the message, so just remember that. So if there was a title to this, it would be <clears throat> The Greatest, The Best, The Ultimate, or The Perfect Volunteer. Not Peyton Manning, sorry. It's your Savior. It's Jesus. He is the perfect volunteer. And we're going to go through Scripture and describe that. So turn to, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to continue our study in Mark. If you don't have a Bible, our lovely and beautiful ushers will come forward and give you one. If you don't own one, you're welcome to take that Bible home. If you take that Bible home, I would encourage you greatly to read it. It will change your life. Uh, so get a Bible. And if you will, turn to Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> and what we're going to do is read through uh, some passages, and then we'll go back and kind of pick this apart after that. So here we go. Mark 14, verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will, you, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where's my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came, to the he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It's one of the twelve one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. 
For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So the story, there's a story. Two disciples head to town, follow a guy carrying a jar of water, go to his house, ask the master of the house, or tell the master of the house, uh, the, the, uh, the, the rabbi, Jesus needs need of your room, he gives it to him. Some people think he had pre, Jesus had pre-planned and pre-prepared. Uh, I go along with that, but I also go along with the Holy Spirit working his work. But uh, So they prepare the room, they get it ready for, for Passover. Now, there's a couple of things we need to remember. Number one, this is not the first Passover that Jesus has celebrated with the disciples. He has three years of ministry, so for the first two years, they've celebrated Passover. This will be the last Passover that Jesus celebrates with his disciples. Let's learn more about the Passover. So turn over to Exodus chapter 12, if you will. There we go. Hopefully you know what, uh, what the Passover is about, but I'll tell you, if you don't, back in uh, the Old Testament, 14 plus hundred years before this, Israel had been in captivity in Egypt for 400 years, the nation of Israel. They were slaves of Egypt in bondage, and their numbers had grown and grown and grown. Well, it was time for God to deliver them, and God chose Moses to do that. And that's a a great Bible story for you to learn and read in the Bible. But God chose Moses to do that. Moses goes to Pharaoh. Moses had been raised in Egypt, had to leave, came back. But Moses goes to Pharaoh nine times. God says, let my people go. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he didn't. So nine times God would send different plagues to the people of Egypt. Uh, he, would, he sent, what, frogs and flies and gnats and uh, hail that turned into fire, darkness for three days, so dark that it made you gnaw your tongue. Um, what else? Well, several. Go read it. You'll see. But the last plague, the tenth plague, was the death, the, the death of the firstborn in Egypt. And God would, that one night, that night, send his angel and every firstborn in Egypt would die. Now, God had a way to deliver his people from that curse. And that way was in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each man eat, what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly and of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. 
And if you'll read through, there's, they have to eat all the flesh. They eat it with bitter herbs. They eat it with unleavened bread, leaven representing sin. They've, they've rid the house of bread of leaven already. A lot of, lot of tradition in this it's, that uh, is really interesting. I had a, a printout of like 10 pages of, of Passover at the time of Jesus and the different verses they read. And it's very intricate, very neat to relate. But anyway, so that's the Passover. So God is going to send this death angel and you had to have blood on your doorposts to get out. Do you know how many people were in Egypt at this time? How many Israelites were in Egypt? Scripture says there were 600,000 men. And that doesn't include their wives and their children. 600,000 men. Well, if you, if you paid attention there, what that said was, well, if your house is not big enough, you get with your neighbor and do it together. Well, the reason for that is that lamb had to be eaten entirely that day, that evening. Nothing left. And whatever might be left uh, would be burned, not taken with them, because they're in a hurry. They're getting ready to leave Egypt. So let's be conservative. 600,000 men. What's, let's say, maybe there's conservatively. 400,000 households. That's a pretty conservative number. Look how many lambs died that day. 400,000 plus lambs died that night. And you ask, why? Why would God do that? Well, from the beginning of time, it took sacrifice to cover and protect and deliver. It always takes blood. Our, our belief is bloody, folks. Uh, the, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, and we can't get away from that. That's just the way it is. So the people of Israel had to, for decades and centuries, sacrifice, 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 just to kind of satisfy God for a moment, sacrifice lamb after lamb after lamb. This was the first Passover, and that chapter that I read, if you keep on going, it institutes Passover for the nation of Israel forever. And this is way over 1,400 years before Jesus' time. Why would God do that? Why would God make the Israelites mark their door with blood? Well, it's so the death angel would know who they are. Really? All the other nine plagues, God protected the people of Israel, right? He, God knew who was in those houses. They didn't mark those doorposts to put a stop sign on the, on the death angel. No, no, he did it for a reason. Number one, it costs something. It costs something to be protected from death. It costs something, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it, it, it costs something to protect from God's anger and God's wrath. And the people of Israel needed to know that. Number two, it was an act of faith on their part. It was an act of belief. They had to listen to Moses and Aaron and their people who passed on their message on how to do this lamb thing. They had to listen and believe it, and do it. And if they didn't, they weren't protected. 
and because they had to do it exactly God's way. Not any other way. Wait, now if I'm living in that time and I'm raising a flock of sheep, or goats, but sheep, and I've got to pick that perfect one-year-old little ram. I got to pick him? I mean, that's the finest one I've got. Why would I have to do Why don't I do it my way? Why don't I pick... Uh, that old you over there that, that uh, quit having babies already, she's no good to me. A you is a female sheep. E-W-E, E-W-E, you. I'm trying to teach you something here, folks, okay? Uh, so why don't I pick that you that's barren now? She doesn't have, why don't I pick her? That's just as good. It's blood, right? It'll cover the doorpost, right? Why don't I do that? Or why don't I sneak over next door and dip some of the blood off that guy's and cover my door? I should be okay, right? No. Because why? Because that's your way. It is not God's way. God has his way to gain protection from his wrath. Folks, you know where I'm heading with this, right? God also has his way to gain eternal life. It's his way. It's not any other way. It's his way. Those people had to trust and believe the message that Moses and Aaron gave them that if they did it right, they're protected from that death angel. And folks, we, need to have, we have to have that same belief, that same situation. And we use the word repent sometimes. Well, there's a lot of different ways to look at the word repent, but let me tell you, for, for one thing, how we should repent, and that is to do it God's way rather than our way. The word repent means to turn around, okay? So if I'm doing it like Frank Sinatra and Elvis, y'all know, who I'm, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I did it my way, you know. That's the wrong way. That's not the right way. You can do it your way all day long. But until you do it God's way, you're not, you're, you're not getting anywhere. You will not have eternal life. So repenting from my pride, my way, my belief, my belief as well, I think that maybe if everybody believes real hard in whatever it is they believe in, that God will take them. No, not true. Uh, that all systems, all belief systems, all religions point to the same God. No, not true. That might be your way. I don't think God would be bad or mean enough to not just take everybody to heaven. No, not true. It is our choice to accept His Lamb to get there, to trust, to believe, just like the Israelites had to believe in that blood over their doorpost. I'm preaching now. I'm sorry. I'm, oh, sorry. Anyway, so back to uh, Mark 12, I mean Mark 14. <clears throat> verse 12, I'm really going to have to go there, but verse 12, remember, says that they go, they on the first day of unleavened bread, they went to kill the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. It's uh, an 80-70, this is a statistic I found, in 80-70, 
which is the last year that any sacrifice was ever done in the temple. The reason is that the temple was destroyed. In A.D. 70, 270,000 lambs were sacrificed for Passover. So this is, I don't know, when uh, Paul, when all this has, what, 80, 30-something maybe, when Jesus is 40-something. So, you know, not long after. So probably about 207, around 270,000 lambs were dying during this Passover week to celebrate Passover. A bloody, bloody time. A costly time. So Jesus goes and they, they, they uh, celebrate Passover together. This Passover is different than the, uh, than the ones they'd done before. Remember, they did it twice before. But this one's different, several reasons. One, Jesus washes their feet during this Passover. Now, that was a custom that the master of the house would have one of his servants or himself wash the feet of any of his guests. That was a custom in the day. And this time, Jesus took off his outer garments, wrapped a towel, if you will, around him, and went and washed all of the disciples' feet. And when he got to Peter, you remember what happened? Oh, Jesus, no. I, you're, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. I should be washing your feet, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, no, Peter, if you don't let me serve you, if you don't let me be a servant to you, then you're not good enough to go to my kingdom. And Peter's like, okay, fine, wash all of me. Peter's, well, we'll learn more about him in just a minute. So, one, this, Pass- this Passover meal is different because Jesus washes their feet. Number two, he uh, announces a betrayal. He announces a betrayal, and we, we just read that. And then number three, he's going to institute a new ordinance of the church for the believers. <clears throat> and he does that during the meal. It's not the Passover meal that we take here in the Four Corners at this church. It is a new institution. He says, I, will, I want you to do this for a reason. And by the way, a little learning thing, and hopefully you know this, this congregation, we, have, we, we observe two different institutions or things that, uh, that Jesus has told us to do, uh, ordinances that Jesus has told us to do. One is the Lord's Supper or Communion which uh, the next passages, I'm sure whoever preaches, if they preach in Mark next, will talk about it at length. And it's something to take quite seriously. Uh, Scripture tells us that. But the reason that we do is because Jesus told us to. He said, whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Do this because of what I did for you on the cross. So that's one of the things that Jesus commands us to do. It is uh, to take the Lord's Supper. And we, again, we do that. We'll do it at the end of this service. The other thing that, uh, the other ordinance that we have that we, we obey uh, that's scriptural is baptism. Uh, and I'm not going to get too deep in that, but, you, but those are the, just the two things. The, this congregation is not a congregation that goes through a lot of tradition, a lot of repetition, whatever you want to call it. We, we're doing what God tells, what Jesus and the Scripture tells us to do in Scripture. The other is baptism. Baptism, we believe, believer's baptism, we believe, only happens after someone has accepted Christ 
into their heart, trusted him to be their savior. That's believer's baptism, and it happens afterwards. It always happened afterwards in the book of Acts, always. Always after somebody accepted Christ, never before. And we believe several things about it, but number one, one thing we don't believe is it does not save you. Baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. It is obedience to what Jesus tells us to do. It's one of the first things we ought to do when we get saved. Number two, it is a picture of my, our death to burial and resurrection being raised to new life. Scripture teaches us that. Folks, what baptism is, is a silent sermon. You're preaching, when we baptize, I keep pointing out because if you don't know, we put a horse trough right here and baptize folks. That's really cool, by the way. But uh, when we baptize somebody, we do it so they can preach a silent sermon. What they're doing is saying, I'm one of his. Now I'm his. I've accepted Christ. I'm part of his church. I'm part of your family. I'm part of God's family. So, consider it if you haven't been baptized, believers baptizing, baptism, if you haven't been baptized after your salvation, consider it. You'll be obeying God. You'll be doing what, he, what Jesus asks us to do, and you'll be preaching a silent sermon. Oh, I'm too embarrassed. And <clears throat> I've thought about that a whole lot. I've had people tell me that. I'm too embarrassed. I don't want to get up in front of all those people, blah, blah, blah. My hair. I don't want to get my hair wet. Have you ever seen us baptize a soul in this church where the rest of the congregation stood up and made fun of them? (laughs) We celebrate. We clap. We're joyful. Hallelujah. Look at you. You're part of the family. It's a wonderful, easy way. If you can't get up and babble on like I'm doing right now, you can certainly preach a sermon from that baptismal water. So... Let God work on you on that one and talk to somebody, one of the knucklehead leaders of the church, and they can help you. Well, they are, right? I got a wife smiling. She won't go like this, but yeah, she kind of does. <laughs> oh, where was I? Oh. Uh, look at verse 21. Of Mark 14. <clears throat> Jesus says, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. <clears throat> Scripture said, Jesus says, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. See that? I wonder what that means. Well, in the Old Testament, all through the Bible, Jesus is described as this servant, which he was for these guys. He's, and he was for three years. He was serving, serving, serving. He was always a servant. Uh, the Old Testament is full of examples of Jesus' sacrifice, his willing, voluntary sacrifice to be our, our uh, what the Bible calls propitiation, which we'll talk about that in a moment. But he says, as it is written. So if you look at Isaiah, I'll give you at least one verse. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. 
says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He went, and we'll study this later, but he goes to this week, this Passover week, as he is preparing to be that perfect lamb. He goes without argument. He goes without any fight back. He willingly puts himself in our place to go pay for those sins. The Bible says he becomes our propitiation. I, that is such a deep, difficult word to completely explain, but I'll tell you what in a nutshell it means. Jesus being our propitiation means that he is the only, and he does, satisfy God's wrath. That's close. There's a lot of other to it, but that's close. Jesus satisfies God's wrath. God's wrath? What do you mean? God's not mad. He's, God is love, right? Yeah, he is. But do you know that God has some hate? Did you know God hates? You know what he hates? He hates sin. He hates it. He can't be around it. He is holy, and he is righteous, and he cannot be in the presence of sin. Oh, well, how do I get with him? If he says, I, and I believe this, I'm a child of God. I'm one of his. He has taken me into his family because I've trusted his son. But how can that happen if he's around, if he can't be around sin because I'm a sinner? Aren't you? I should see 150 heads doing this right here. Yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. So how can I be around him? Because Jesus becomes the the lamb that takes all of the wrath of God on himself that I deserve, and he puts it on himself. Now, we could go on and on about that one, but that's how God does it. He looks at me as a child of his, as holy, as perfect, because of that blood that covers me. Jesus is my propitiation. Jesus takes the wrath that I deserve. That's how it's done. Uh, that's verse 21. He, he voluntarily, see, I'm coming back to that word, right? He voluntarily goes and takes that price. Look at verse 19 of Mark 14. This is just a, of interest to me. I, I had a hard time, and it kind of hit me as I was going through these passages this week. I don't get that. Uh, I didn't at first. I'm starting to get it a little bit now. You see, he tells all, all 12 of the, the, the disciples, all 12 of them, he says, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it me? Now, don't they know? I mean, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And now they're going to Jesus and say, Jesus, is it me? Jesus, is it me? Why would they say that? Well, we know why Judas would say it, because it is him. And as, as soon as this happened and Judas dipped his bread in the cup, Judas left and did his dealing. 
But why would, why would the disciples do that? Well, all of them did that except for one. It was Peter. You know what Peter said? He said, no, not me. I'll never deny you. I'll never betray you, Jesus. You know who the first apostle to betray Jesus was? Peter. So you're thinking, put yourself in their shoes. What would you do? If Jesus said, 12 of you sitting there, one of you is going to betray me, what would you do? Yeah, not me. Uh-uh. I wouldn't dare. Never would I betray you. Really? Do we ever betray him now? Do you ever have an oppor- the perfect opportunity? I, this has happened to me, I uh, confess, <clears throat> more than once, and it, it hurts me to think about it. But do you, do you ever have the opportunity, the perfect opportunity, that thing comes up, that, and somebody says something, and you have that perfect opportunity to share Jesus, to give a witness for him, perfect. But either you don't have time or you don't want them to get upset with you or you don't want other... That never happened to you? Hmm. Okay. You ever been in a conversation with folks and somebody says that thing where, oh, I just believe that all people are going to, if they worship, uh, all religions worship the same God or whatever, whatever, the, and you remain silent. And you don't say anything. Gently. Calmly, quietly, do it in, do it in, be gentle. My wife tells me that all the time. By the way, she told me not to tell any jokes today. I didn't tell any jokes. I told the truth about Vanderbilt and Joe. I mean, anyway. You ever, you ever walk, you ever listen to a conversation like that about religion and just keep your mouth shut, don't say anything? Or don't agree, for sure. Really? You ever have opportunities? You ever have... Or do you ever hear, like, like we say, and I'm not just necessarily here, anywhere, say, well, uh, something comes up, like volunteering for something. Uh, we need help with this. We need help with that. Whatever. And it hits you. Boom. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. Mm, I could do that. I could do that. And then by the time you get to the parking lot, car, and lunch, you've come up with ten reasons not to do it. You denied Christ all those times. You denied him all those times because he, through the Holy Spirit, is speaking to me and you for that. And I do it all the time. It's true confession, but it just is true. So don't be judging these poor disciples. They don't know what we know. They don't know the rest of the story here. We do. Praise God. Praise God that he protects me no matter how I act, no matter how bad a decision I might make, no matter how wrong that decision is, God still loves me and covers me with that blood. When God looks at me and you as a saved person, he sees righteousness. How in the world? That's a miracle, but it's true. And that's, that's a, a beautiful thing. All right, so I told the earlier service, it's going to be a shorter service than you're used to probably because I'm getting ready to wind up, and the band, this is awesome. I, I told the early service, I said, I'm going to be really quiet, and we'll get through, and we'll see how long it takes the band to show up. And everybody's like, yeah. 
And then Nathan comes down from up there in the dark and like, I got you, Dad. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> Comparison from, from the lamb to Jesus, that poor little Passover lamb to Jesus. One, the lamb is innocent, right? You ever been around sheep? You ever been around a lamb? They are. They're very innocent. Most of them you can just pick up, and they just give up. They just give up. They're, they're there. But they're quite innocent. And Jesus was innocent of any crime that he was accused of. But he opened not his mouth. Number two, the lamb is without blemish. The lamb that they were supposed to choose was without blemish. No fault. Jesus, obviously, the perfect life that he lived, no fault. God, the God-man, Jesus. Number three, the Bible says that that lamb that they sacrificed, no bone should be broken. And if you know on the cross, Jesus hung, and on each side was a, was a criminal. And because it was getting dark, and they didn't want anybody on this holy day to be hanging on a cross, they went and broke their legs of the criminals so they couldn't breathe, so they would die quicker. And when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. And they proved that by ramming a spear into his side and, and proved that he was gone. So no bone was broken, much like the lambs from uh, Passover. There's a big difference in the lamb from Passover and the lamb of glory. One is the Passover lamb doesn't have a choice. No choice. Go pick up that little lamb Take it to the temple and let the priest slay it. No choice. Jesus volunteered. Voluntarily, Jesus willingly went through this week and went to the cross and paid that price. So there's the difference, but there's the picture of the lamb. Now, let's talk about Davy Crockett again. I told you I'd come back to it, right? Davy Crockett. <clears throat> So I told you he served in the U.S. Congress uh, on, off, on again, and ran for re-election and lost because of a spat, frankly, he had with the president at the time, but that's neither here nor there. So he lost, and he was quite upset about that. And here's a quote from Davy Crockett uh, when he lost that election, that re-election. And this was his message to the people of the state of Tennessee. He said, you may all go to hell and I'll go to Texas. The difference between Davy and Jesus, Jesus says, you may all be with me in heaven. I'll go to the cross. And if you don't know him, Someone here is glad to share with you. I'll, I'll be glad. There's other, other people might be down front here later on to, uh, to talk to you. If you don't know Jesus, know him. Not know him. Heck, the devil knows more about Jesus than you do. He's met him face to face a bunch of times. But if you don't know Jesus in your heart, if you don't trust that he is exactly who he says he is, and it takes a mustard seed of faith to start growing into a huge bush tree, etc. 
But if you don't know him and trust in who he is, that he can do what he said he'd do, we'd be glad to talk to you about that. Uh, and again, th- thank you for your patience and uh, putting up. I do not, I think I kept 85% of you awake today, which I have learned from teaching Bible study for a long time. That's a pretty good, pretty good number right there. That's not bad. So thank you so much. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, again, uh, we just thank you and praise you for being the perfect volunteer, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb that we trust to give us eternal life. We praise you for that. We thank you for your, your sacrifice and your gift. God, be with the rest of this service. Be with us, uh, this church. Help us to always be pointed toward the cross. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.